What's up, everyone, and welcome to the weekly edition of ESG Now, where we cover how the environment, our society, and corporate governance affects and are affected by our economy. I'm your host, Mike DiCibato, and this week we have two stories for you. The first is on the inclusion of natural gas in the EU's definition of sustainability, basically in its Green Bible. And the second is on a stark report by mining giant Rio Tinto that found widespread sexual assault, racism, and bullying at the company. Thanks as always for joining us. Stay tuned. There's a rush at the moment to build green energy systems, those that can help us stabilize the climate before it completely collapses into chaos. But what is the best way to achieve that stabilization? If I were to ask you which energy systems would be best for that, you'd probably say something like a combination of wind and solar. But what about hydro? Dams are linked to negative impacts on local ecosystems and people, but they emit relatively no carbon. Is that a green energy system or nuclear? Once it's up and running, the only thing you have to worry about is nuclear waste and the possibility of a meltdown, sure, but it produces a massive amount of energy via nuclear fission rather than chemical burning, which means it generates electricity with not a single output of carbon. What about natural gas? Yes, it's a fossil fuel, and methane leaks are a major threat to our climate, but compared to coal, it's clean. It can be put into place quickly in our current system and can be used when renewable energy is offline, and it's cheap, a major benefit for lower-income countries and individuals. So which should you choose? Well, luckily you don't have to because the EU has created its own taxonomy of sustainable activities, colloquially called the EU taxonomy or the EU green taxonomy. It could be seen as the Bible of green, and it's been in force since July of 2020. Recently, the EU commission added two controversial verses to the Bible of green, a verse on nuclear and a natural gas verse. It decided to call both fuel sources a transitional sustainable fuel, meaning as long as gas and nuclear projects don't replace any low-carbon alternatives, they can and should play a major role in the transition to a climate-neutral economy. So today we're going to talk about why the EU added gas to the taxonomy specifically. And first we're going to discuss why it's a big deal for investors, and then we're going to discuss why it's a big deal for gas companies. To start us off, I talked with my colleague Hannah Ogilvie, who has been creating our methodology for how to deal with the EU taxonomy, and I asked her to take me through the move by the EU. Well, I think the question first is why, why hasn't gas been included as a sustainable activity until now? So the, the EU is known to have taken a, a pretty ambitious approach to defining sustainable activities. So they've set stringent thresholds for performance thresholds for um, what can be considered aligned with their sustainable framework. And for electricity generation, the EU has said that it will consider renewable sources that produce electricity under 100 grams of carbon dioxide per kilowatt hour. And that's a a life cycle metric. A life cycle metric for measuring carbon basically means you look at the carbon emitted throughout the entire value chain of a commodity, from getting it out of the ground to shipping it to burning it. 
So what the EU did is it looked at the emissions threshold set by the Paris Agreement and consulted with the general scientific community and then set a threshold of under 100 grams of carbon dioxide per kilowatt hour as a way to tell companies and investors what is quantitatively considered renewable and sustainable when we're talking energy. The EU also said not only do you have to meet this threshold, but you cannot have an energy source that could have a long-term effect a negative effect on the environment due to, for example, the waste it could create. This meant nuclear was out. And when nuclear went out, the EU bureaucratic version of all hell broke loose. So in comes France, who's invested you know, quite heavily in nuclear and wasn't happy that nuclear was then excluded from the taxonomy. So what they did is they approached some of the Eastern European countries who are invested in gas and said, let's develop a coalition here. Let's, you know, pull, um, pull what we want included in the taxonomy together. Let's do, let's do research and let's put this forward to the, to the commission to include in the taxonomy. And according to news sources, that's exactly what France did. France thinks nuclear should be part of the energy solution to climate change. It's an idea that has a lot of backing due to nuclear being a low carbon energy source and that it has a high capacity range, meaning it can operate come rain or shine. But France knew it needed more countries that weren't so tied to nuclear energy to get on board to change the EU's mind for its taxonomy. So it got together with Germany and a coalition of Central Eastern European countries and pushed for the inclusion of both nuclear and natural gas, something that Germany and these Eastern European countries really wanted to get included. Nuclear got in without much substantial change to the taxonomy. There were some changes there to what is considered an environmental damage, but we aren't going to discuss that today. Because to make this proposal work, the inclusion of gas meant the EU had to make a substantive and controversial increase to that 100 gram threshold of CO2 emitted per kilowatt hour that we just talked about, because that is too low of an emissions threshold for gas-powered utilities to be considered sustainable. That threshold would increase to 270 grams of carbon dioxide per kilowatt hour. And by doing so, they're allowing higher emitting activity to be labeled as green. And this is a really interesting piece because that threshold is um, based on direct greenhouse gas emissions and doesn't consider the emissions from you know extracting or transporting the gas to the power plant um, and and the methane leakages that you know could result along the way netting out methane from natural gases emissions is huge for the commodity the reason the world's natural gas system is so environmentally impactful is because of leaky methane which locks in far more heat in the short term than carbon dioxide. In fact, it's such a problem that the UN cites methane leaks as one of the major reasons for why we likely won't meet the Paris Agreement's goals. And ironically, it's so bad that the EU and the US have been pressing countries to make methane cutting pledges. So what the EU Commission basically said in this proposal is forget about all that. We're going to call gas a sustainable transition fuel and so it can be considered green which pissed off Austria, Denmark, Sweden, the Netherlands, environmental NGOs, as well as some of its own members. One of them said including gas as a sustainable activity is analogous to treating french fries in the same category as salad. 
It also meant that other regions were looking at the EU taxonomy as a standard bearer for what should be considered sustainable in finance and investment and broadly. We're now in a weird spot. There's a lot of fears about what this means um, for the EU's credibility and sustainable finance. To date, the EU's been you know, a real leader in sustainable policymaking and other jurisdictions are following the EU's guidelines to, uh, to develop their own taxonomies. And in fact, later last year, Russia came out with a green taxonomy and for electricity generation, they also implemented the same threshold of 100 grams of carbon dioxide per kilowatt hour threshold. Um, China also excludes you know, fossil uh, gas-fired electricity generation. So the EU's proposal to include gas means the ambition of their green framework may now trail other regions. The EU tried to appease the angry parties by tempering the decision with a caveat. They will only allow those natural gas-fired plants to be considered sustainable if they are replacing coal-fired power plants. So there is a net benefit there because burning natural gas produces about half as much CO2 as coal to produce the same amount of energy. It also produces far fewer pollutants that can harm human health. But opponents have argued the move stalls the replacement of fossil fuels with renewables, something that the scientific community says needs to happen if we are to stabilize the climate by misallocating investments toward natural gas. They also argue that for investors, the proposal could further dilute what is meant by a green or sustainable fund because in practice, what this proposal does is it allows a fund that can have fracking companies in it to still be called sustainable or EU taxonomy aligned. If the act is passed, and so long as gas power generation meets the proposed criteria, EU investors with exposure to natural gas in their portfolios would now demonstrate a larger percentage of taxonomy alignment in their funds. Or in other words, they would um, demonstrate a larger amount of sustainability in their funds. But to be clear, with the inclusion of natural gas in the taxonomy, the Commission added provisions that gas must be labeled as a transitional activity. So companies disclosing sustainability data in line with the taxonomy framework will now have to report what amount of their sustainable exposure is from natural gas. And this enhanced transparency means investors can still exclude or divest from natural gas if they don't feel it's a viable long-term environmental solution. All right, so we've covered the EU fight, the investor implications of that, and now on to the companies themselves. Because to get a sustainability label means you'll likely attract the attention of investors and their capital. So would this proposal affect gas utilities in any way? Uh, to understand that, I asked my colleague Elsha Mamadov, and here's what he had to say. Yes, it matters a lot, not just to gas utilities, but gas-fired power generators. And there are several different risks for each one of them. For gas-fired power generators or for utilities that happen to have both renewables and thermal generation, it's important because companies like RWE in Germany, they keep insisting that we're switching off the nuclear, we're going away from coal. Yes, we're building uh, a lot of wind and solar capacity in Germany. However, we are we need some firm capacity and, and gas should be that capacity. So companies that even have net zero targets are thinking about building new gas-fired power plants, they, they do need to have appropriate 
you know, legislation in place, etc., and support from the government. But it looks like we will see more new gas-fired power plants being built in Europe if this taxonomy, you know, uh, uh, encourages that. There are a number of German and EU companies that would benefit from this proposal passing through its last remaining political hurdles, and a number of Eastern European companies that are already trying to move away from coal toward relatively clean or natural gas. And if gas got this sustainability green light, it's not that the natural gas utilities would immediately spring up out of nowhere, but it would grease the machine a bit. And it would also give companies a way to better pitch their projects to sustainability-minded investors, since, according to Elshin, a lot of new natural gas-fired power plants are coming online specifically to shore up renewables variable capacity. And these companies can say, look, we're going to be in line with what the EU taxonomy says is sustainable. We're going to set phase out dates for gas and we're going to implement carbon capture and storage technologies eventually at some point in the future. Uh, This is what the EU taxonomy requests and this is what we will be beholden to. And this is all a bit forward looking, though, because currently natural gas utilities are more worried about pricing pressure than they are about a sustainability label. So the the hope for gas gas-fired power plants was that a lot of them are heavily underutilized. So the, the problem they have now is, okay, how can we increase utilization rate? And the hope was that, okay, so coal is coming offline, uh, nuclear is coming offline in some countries, uh, so that will open up some room for gas. Yes, there will be renewables, but they will open up the room to increase gas-fired power generation. Unfortunately, with soaring gas prices in Europe, we haven't seen that happen yet. So, But the hope is that, okay, as gas prices normalize on the global markets in the next year or two, then, then, we, will, uh, they, then we may see increased uh, utilization. But for now, in the short term, it's all doom and gloom for gas. Yeah. If anything, we've seen increase... Uh, coal-fired power generation, not just in Europe, but across the world, because, again, (laughs) it's cheaper to burn coal. There's one more complicating factor with this proposal. By allowing natural gas to be considered a transition fuel, some argue it's giving fossil fuel companies a reason to keep suboptimal or old plants online. Those same plants that would maybe be priced out of the market. Because those companies can claim the gas utilities are there to be, as the EU asks, to be a backup for intermittent renewables that have these variable energy production times that come and go with the wind and the sun. So why go through all this? Why spend our episode today talking about a proposal that hasn't yet been affirmed by all the EU member states and the EU commissions and whatnot? Well, first of all, it's likely going to be passed in some capacity. Gas and nuclear as well are likely going to have a certain kind of sustainability label in 2022 and beyond. But the second is, is that this is going to be the task of this year, in my opinion. There are going to be a lot of different discussions as to what should be considered sustainable as the industry tries to define itself in a bit more of a mature way than it has in the past. And we need to be able to watch these things and understand what we are all being sold.
Mining giant Rio Tinto has had a bad go of it in the last couple of years. You may remember the company from their destruction of a 46,000-year-old Aboriginal site to expand its iron ore mine in Australia. And now the company has released a report that it's self-commissioned that details a culture of systemic bullying, high levels of racism, and the accusation by 21 women that they were raped or sexually assaulted at its mines over the past five years. To discuss this report, I called up our mining expert Sam Block and asked him what he thought about the report that surveyed more than 10,000 Rio Tinto employees. The findings of the report were startling, um, you know, saying there's bullying, sexual harassment, um, and, and sexual assault and racism, you know, that is widespread uh, at this, you know, rather prominent international company is is, cer- is certainly upsetting. Um, but also, I mean, hearing that this, hearing about this, you know, these findings is actually maybe a good thing. Um, you know, companies, especially large ones like Rio Tinto, which has like 45,000 people in its workforce, they're going to have a hard time managing something if they don't measure it. So actually commissioning this report um, probably is a really strong step forward for the company to be able to address, you know, the toxic aspects that they have in their culture. Was this report kind of a broader push by Rio Tinto executives for better self-examination? Or was this kind of outside pressure that made them commission this report? What was the reason behind it? This report actually came about as part of a broader cultural review at Rio Tinto uh, that they that they started uh, following their destruction, essentially, of these ancient rock shelters um, and Junkin Gorge in Australia. Um, you know, transparency around this report was probably a, a step by the company to come out and say, like, look, you know, we're addressing this. Um, and I'm, I'm sure it's better that they would volunteer this information rather than, you know, it's somehow leaking out and then people accusing the company is you know kind of hiding hiding this from the, from the the public. Um, I mean the company's still recovering from this scandal when they when they bulldoze these indigenous sites these rock rock shelters in Australia. Um, I mean it led to the uh, you know what you call like the dishonorable discharge of of the CEO or the chairman and other executives at the company. What about the just the industry of mining in general? Is it is it just something that you think? This isn't just a problem at Rio Tinto. This is likely a problem in the broader sector that needs to be examined with a bit more urgency. It, it is very likely that this is actually quite common throughout the industry. I mean, uh, mining is a it's a pretty macho business. Um, it, it has been and probably still is one of the most male-dominated industries. Uh, you know, traditionally and, and, and still many places around the world, mining workforces were almost entirely men. Uh, who lived, you know, um, in these like communal dormitories, like in the middle of nowhere. Um, a lot of w- uh, workforces are are made up of, you know, what was called fly in, fly out uh, type positions. Uh, you know, people are are flying in; they're not with their families. Um, prostitution is a known issue at a lot of mining camps around the world. Um, you know, but in many ways, you know, the cultures, the culture at, at mining companies have been changing a lot over the past decade. I mean, mining companies have been trying to improve living conditions at, at a lot of their mines. Uh, they've been, you know, um, increasing technology and in, in how mining is done, which brings a lot of different types of jobs and uh, that are that are done within these workforces. And also, they have been, you know, really trying to increase diversity. Especially women um, in their workforces, you know, I'd say for you know the the past decade or so. Um, but this also creates you know a need 
uh, within these mining workforces to protect you know, these underrepresented groups. So is this also, uh, I, I take your point to the industry being kind of an intense place to work. Um, but is this also, when you look at Rio Tinto, uh, are they, do they have representation at, at the top levels for uh, some of these underrepresented groups? Like what is their general gender diversity at on the executive positions? Rio Tinto has had a lot of initiatives actually over the years to increase the, the number of women it has in its workforce. Um, in 2020, about 60% of its graduate hires were women. Um, but uh, this still comes about as, you know, only about 19% of its workforce are women overall. Um, Rio Tinto has uh, four out of its nine directors on the board are female, uh, which is about 44%. So, I mean, it's still a minority, uh, but still actually much better than than most um, mining companies and most most companies uh, in general in our in our MSCI Acqui uh, index. Um, only about thirty percent of diversified metals and mining companies actually have more than three women on their um, on their board. Um, and uh, you know to put this in perspective, um, in two thousand eleven, the company had two women on its board, and that was two out of sixteen directors. Yeah, that's like what twelve and a half percent. So it seems like even though there is some good representat- representation at the executive level, uh, at the lower levels, at the managerial level, there is a lot of work that needs to be done. So uh, we'll have to monitor how Rio Tinto and the rest of the mining world reacts to this startling report. And that's it for the week. I want to thank Hannah and Sam for talking to me about the news of the ESG Twist. And I want to thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, don't forget to rate and review us. That really helps and it puts us higher on podcasts lists when people are looking to listen about ESG. And if you like what you heard, also subscribe. And you can hear this every week, me or Bentley. I think it's going to be a great time. Thanks as always and talk to you soon. <laughs>